Brewers down to their final out now. Now up to Christian Yelich. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up. Get up. Get out of here and go for Yelich. He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan What's going on, Brewers fans? It is a special day today because this is the first ever Ike Brewers podcast. We're going to be talking a lot of Brewers baseball, stats, games, forecasts. We're going to cover it all. My name is KJ Eichstead, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Weber. Brian, how's it going? It's going well. It's a new year, a new decade. we got a new squad rolling through. I'm ready to get this season started. Let's do it. So Brian's been following the Brewers since the Jeff Jenkins days, long before this generation of fans saw the playoffs or much success at all. Um, So we're excited to get into it. If you don't already, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Ike underscore Brewers. There you'll find premium Brewers content, graphics, Yellish content, Braun content, stats, analysis, conversation, uh, really anything else you could ever want as a Brewers fan. So join the conversation at Ike underscore Brewers on Twitter. Um, all right, we're excited to get into it. So without further ado, let's talk some group. All right, so just to do a quick recap of last year. It was an up and down season. Kristen Yelich got hurt at the end. Uh, the Brewers didn't exactly play great baseball, playoff baseball, until you know September, the late August, when they started going on an incredible streak that saw them get into the playoffs. And unfortunately, they didn't get a full series right away, so we ended up getting knocked out by the Nationals in the wild card game. But I think, considering the circumstances. Uh, with Yelich being out, um, you know, Lorenzo Cain having a down year, Corey Knebel having Tommy John surgery. The fact that we were able to make the playoffs twice in a row, two seasons in a row, is something that Brewers fans haven't really seen, you know, in a long, long, long time. And and this team is used to having more success than teams in the past. So uh, not really everything went right last season, but the fact that Craig Council was able to manage them in the playoffs – uh, David Stearns was able to put a competitive team out there that gave them a chance to win every day. Um, you know, even though it ended in heartbreak fashion, the Brewers looked like they were going to go through in that Washington Nationals game before Hater Blues the save. I thought the season was a success. Now, what do you think? How, what are your thoughts on last year real quick? 
Given the circumstances the Brewers were under in those final couple months with the injured Yelich, obviously, I thought it was just a great job railing the troops by Craig Council mm -hmm. because the team definitely wasn't at full health, and that can ruin your mentality of the whole squad, the bullpen, everyone that's on the field. But it just seems like the team took that opportunity and they just ran with it. They went on a win streak of winning 13 of the last 15 games. Mm -hmm. They were 19-4 and four in September. Yep. I mean, they battled and clawed their way back to succumb the Cubs and get that opportunity to play the Nationals, who ended up being the world champions. So we were two innings away, an inning and a half yeah. away from going on and surviving and advancing. But sometimes all the cards can't go in your favor. But I think with what David Stearns has done this offseason, we're putting ourselves in a great position going forward. Yeah, I agree. And, and something you said right there kind of made me think how – Usually when a team's best player goes down, it is just crippling. It's a crippling blow to the team. And I think we can look at that as Wisconsin sports fans. Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, you know, when he goes down, the entire Packers team really loses all chance they have to win. Uh, you know, Giannis, God bless, he's been healthy throughout his career, knock on wood. Wish him nothing but health and continued success. But if he were ever to... to Miss extended time, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say the Bucks would be hard-pressed to make the playoffs. Uh, in mm -hmm. the NBA, 16 teams make it, so it's not as difficult as the MLB. But just the fact that the Brewers are able to make the playoffs, given the circumstances, with Yelly being out, like you said, and we able to, to really just play some of our best baseball with him out speaks volumes on just, like, the, the players on this team. And uh, another thing that really stands out to me is Corey Knable going into the year, a thing that everyone took for granted, like we already knew how good Josh Hader was going into the year 2019, but we always knew him as kind of that like stretch reliever, could be used in a lot of different situations, and Corey Knable was the closer. Well, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot to be, uh, that's really talked about when it comes to what exactly does a closer mean, like closer mentality, we kind of assume that you can stick anyone in the ninth inning and they'll get the job done. Well, it's not always the case. Sometimes these guys handle the pressure better than others. So a lot of credit to Hayter for kind of being thrust in that closer's role and just really excelling at it because there's a ton of pressure when it comes to closing these games down. And you never know if other teams are stealing signs or not. Uh, don't need to get into that at all because we don't want to touch on that. But yeah, I thought a, a lot of guys stepped up in the in the wake of injuries. And it's cool to see Hayter stepping up in those moments too because being a relief pitcher is something where your brain can go bipolar so quickly because if you have one bad outing, two bad outings, three bad outings, your whole career trajectory can change because you could just lose it. I mean, mm -hmm. look at Derek Turnbow, who was a premium closer in the MLB for a year or two with the Brewers, and he kind of faded out. And obviously we had Francisco Cordero towards the end of his run, but he even kind of went through it a little bit too while he was here. And, and Rodriguez, Francisco and Rodriguez, and all uh, of the guys. John Axford as well. We've been blessed with good closers. We can definitely ah, say that. You know, they have a short shelf life though, but we're not the exactly. only ones who deal with that short shelf life. So um, a little bit of background for Brewers fans out there in terms of this podcast. Podcast number one, we're going to do uh, kind of an off-season recap and a look towards this season, and then we're going to get more into the nitty-gritty of the spring training and how things are shaping up in future podcasts. So so we're right here, we're going to talk about kind of just the uh, the current state of the team, how they compare last year to this year, um, moves that have been made, and then we're going to dive into more spring training stuff in future editions. So back to the topic at hand, uh, last season... 
mostly a success depending on how you look at it. Uh, very, very, very successful for Christian Yelich, and it ended with him coming in second place and you know, kind of a controversial MVP uh, race to Cody Bellinger. And what's interesting is that Cody Bellinger had a really, really, really strong start to the year. But if you look at his stats as the year progressed, he just declined and declined and declined. And Yelich was just elite the entire year, whereas the knock against him is that he missed, you know, the last month of the season. Um, I personally thought Yelich should have won the MVP. But Brian, real quick, the MVP race outcome, was it correct? Given the circumstances with Yelich being hurt for about a month or so, I think that definitely came into the grading scale of who they were going to award the MVP trophy to, as well as maybe of that voter's bias going away because he won the year previous as well. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of just stacking the cards up kind of to the general public of people who are just voting in general, kind of saying, hey, he won it last year. Bellinger had a really good year, almost as good as Yelich. I think this is the perfect opportunity to slip it to him. That's a good point. Because... Yelich's stats, if you look at the accumulation of the season, they were better. They were more well-rounded. I mean, he stole 30 bases, and I believe it was 26 less games. He stole 15 more bases than Cody Bellinger, and that's just an amazing stat for a guy who can hit you 40 home runs, 100 RBIs, and 330 batting average. I mean, besides Mike Trout, I think Christian Yelich is the pinnacle of what you can be as a five-tool baseball player in today's MLB. Amen. Amen. Um you know, I think that if Christian Yelich was healthy, uh, there's no chance he doesn't win back-to-back MVPs. But Sometimes the like injury bug doesn't go with you, though. Exactly. And I think the one thing Bellinger may have on Christian Yelich is the defense. So I don't ha- exactly have the defensive metrics in front of me, but I know that Yelich is an exceptional defender, but Cody Bellinger is... It's very, like, very, very strong. It's like it's, Bellinger's a 97, Yelich's like a 92. Yeah, it's like just a yeah. narrow advantage towards Bellinger. And he also has like the swagger of playing in L.A. and all that aura, playing under Magic Johnson's team and the Dodgers. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that go into that as well, obviously. So I think there was a lot of things that sprung Bellinger winning the MVP over Yelich. You know, it's kind of created this friendly rivalry too. You see, you know, some content come out where Yelly uh, and Belly are chilling, they're slamming beers together, they're competing in games. Both of them are really competitive guys, but Yelly getting second place in that MVP trophy, that might put a little chip on his shoulder in a good way because, um, you know, he didn't win it. He didn't win it two years in a row. He's probably on a mission this year to not only win the MVP, but live up to that massive contract extension that will keep him in Milwaukee Brewer for the rest of his career. That's a great time to switch to our next topic, the Yelich contract extension. I believe it was seven years, $215 million tacked on to the three years he has remaining. Um, you know, they, it's just, it's a long deal. I think the total is what, nine years, no opt-outs, no trade clause. Uh, this is below market value. And I just want to ask, you know, what are your thoughts on the extension? I think it's amazing. Um, I think it's an incredible grab, not only for the city of Milwaukee, but for putting this team in a position to add other pieces going forward, mm. kind of trial and error. If it doesn't work this year, you kind of go through the system and see what needs a little bit of tweaking. But having Yelich, which is your main core of the team, for the next decade virtually is just revolutionary because you have a 
first year option that's an MVP caliber player who we all believe is not even close to taking PEDs just by the way the guy looks yeah he's and not juicing just, he's not juicing he's not juicing and that is something you just don't walk across especially if you're a Milwaukee Brewer fan I mean this could be the next reconnaissance of maybe even better than Ryan Braun but maybe even like a Robin Yount like a guy who was just a perennial star in the league and it doesn't seem like there's ever going to be some of the fans drawbacks in terms of bias because he's a good guy off the field yeah he's so even keeled he's kind of like got that Giannis mentality in a way where they don't want to just go out and talk about it they just want to show it yeah they just want to have the trophy case filled up with a bunch of team accolades that's what they're caring about at the end of the day so for this team going forward in Milwaukee I think it was really sensational to do it couple things I liked about what you just said is just the ability to add talent around him. I know that that was a big point of emphasis when they were getting this deal done is that was something that was important to Christian Yelich. He's like, look, if I'm going to be spending my time here, I want to compete. He's compete uh, for, you know, World Series, get birth the first year. Um, if he was healthy last year, he would have been in the playoffs. Who, know, who knows where he, the team would have gone if he would have been with them. Um, but he expects to compete during the duration of this deal, and the Brewers are actually going to be paying him, I believe it's like $4 million in deferred money for a lot of years mm-hmm. after this. So, so that average annual value of the deal just keeps going lower and lower where you forecast six to eight years down the road, and, and it's going to be a bargain, bargain bin deal if it's not already, which is just crazy. Uh, there was a lot of people around the league who thought that Yelich made a huge mistake. And, and I, I think that... It's kind of frustrating because they're looking at it in terms of just monetary aspects. Like, they're not considering Christian Yelich's happiness. Uh, He's from California. He played in Florida. Now he's in the Midwest. You know, he's got ties all over, but he just likes it here. And I think that was a big reason why he decided to sign in small market Milwaukee. Before this Christian Yelich extension news broke, I was actually... Um, my outlook for the way the Brewers franchise would go would be we kind of had like a one to two year window because we had a control over him for three more years. Um, usually what happens is if you if you have to offload these guys, if you have no chance of signing it, like a Harper, like, you know, maybe a Trout, if they weren't, if you weren't willing to sign an extension with the big market angels, um, you know, most of these guys, in order to get an actual return, that's not a low ball return, you got to trade them two years ahead of free agency instead of just one. Uh, so I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, you know, the Brewers had this year, the third year of Yelich's tenure in Milwaukee. And depending on how this year went, like if this was a train wreck of a year, you really might might have had to entertain some trade offers just to, hate to say it, but maybe enter a rebuilding mode. And this Yelich extension news is the furthest thing from that. I was shocked when I heard it, but there, there's no doubt the Brewers are anticipating that they'll contend throughout the lifetime of this contract. So as where we might have had as fans, as a team, as an organization, a smaller window, uh, even like two weeks ago, now I think the window stretches at least the next five years. Um, yeah, do you if have not any, more. If not more. Anything to add before we move on to some rankings? And something that really I realized throughout the whole process was how comfortable Christian Yelich was here and how he always reiterated the fact that he felt like he was home here. He felt like everyone here was family from day one. That could have also played into the small market team being more appealing in terms of him for the long run because if you show up in a place like LA for the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees or any of these teams that are so high profile, 
they have the type of media stream around them that say you're going through a 14 game hit streak and it comes to an end and you have five games where you struck out two times in each game, the media can flip on you in this matter of a week and mm-hmm. they can say, why did we sign him? Why did we do this? You're on the front line of Boston Herald saying, yeah. why did we go get Yelich when he ruined the team? It's like you can be totally thrown in the fire and into the abyss for something that isn't even applicable to you reaching your goal. Yeah. And I think Christian Yelich is aware of that, definitely being an intelligent guy. and From California. Exactly. Yeah. He's felt both of it. He's felt the Marlins. He's, yeah. been, he's from California, which a lot of baseball gone, going on over there, obviously. A lot, of, a lot of cameras out there, too. I just think the feel of like being at home is more comfortable, comfortable for him. And, and if you can't tell off the field, look at the raking he's doing on the field. I mean, you can't be uncomfortable and be hitting what he's hitting. That's a good point. He's loving life on and off the field. And you're going to get better results when you're happy off the field, on the field. You know, that is amazing just to even touch on because I didn't think about that. But you're 100% right in terms of baseball is one of those sports where you can't just go out there like the NBA, maybe, you know, a Devin Booker, or Bradley Beal, just sleepwalks their way into a 30-point game, even though their team will get blown out because they don't really care about doing the little things that it takes to win. But baseball, you can't exactly just snooze your way into 330. You can't exactly be going through, you know, a divorce off the field, kind of like a, a Cubs player that really just derailed his production. You know, you can't really do that and hit 330. You You really have to have that equilibrium, that contentness that like everything is fine my life is exactly how I want it to be to just be in that comfort zone because the craziest thing is even someone who hits 330 as a baseball player is still failing two times as many times as they succeed and it's just a mind-blowing concept that makes baseball such an interesting sport is you have to deal with a lot of failure whether you're a pitcher whether you're a hitter closer manager there's a lot of failure, and it's not for the mentally weak. So I think Christian Yelich, like you, like you mentioned, Brian, saw a great opportunity. He, it just feels right. Like he said in his interview, it just feels right. And I think that speaks volumes. And like another side tangent is, <clears throat> excuse me, is with basketball, it's almost like you can hide a good but bad statistical output. Say a guy gets you 30 points, but he shoots 10 of 33 from the field. Harden. You can, exactly, Harden. You can... Put up the Hide a bad game by saying you had a good game because he had 33 points, 7 assists, and 6 rebounds. But if the guy played 46 minutes, shot 32% from the field and 15% from three, he dived deep in the stats. You're like, oh, that wasn't good. Yeah. It's a little bit easier to hide. Yeah. But in baseball, you're striking out, you're whiffing, you're not getting base on balls. I mean, you're grounding the double plays. It's going to show up. You're going to be hitting 224, maybe five home runs. Your ops is going to be 500, and you're going to be in the minors. Yeah. I mean, it's just totally different. And I have a feeling even by, like, some of the phenoms that have have go, having to go down to the uh, minors at some point. I mean, look at Shelby Miller. He's a brewer now. He was at the top of the Cardinals rotation at he one point. He was the top prospect. He was yeah. their top prospect. And something didn't click for him along the lines, and he lost it. It's kind of a little bit more volatile in terms of your mental space in baseball compared to basketball. Baseball is a very humbling sport. It will bring you to your knees. And I think that's a great time to segue into our next topic. We're going to briefly touch on the MLB Top 100 list released by the Four Letter Network. And four brewers made the list. It was uh, you know, Kesson Hera at number 98, just cracked it. Brandon Woodruff, number 96. Uh, Josh Hader, I believe, was... 36? 36. 36. 
Yep, 36. And then number four, Christian Yelich. So so the Brewers placed four guys on this list. Real quick, were anyone's, was anyone snubbed in your opinion? Well, I believe, and I'm trying to put bias aside here, but I think Yelich has more value than both. Jacob deGrom. Let's get to that in just a sec. In terms of players who didn't make the list, do you think any Brewers should have made it instead of just those four? I think there's two guys that come to mind right away, and for me that would be um, Avisil Garcia and Lorenzo Cain. Because Garcia's been able to do it as a supplementary option on multiple teams now. The guy hasn't hit below 270 in a good amount of time. He gets you 20 to 30 home runs. He puts bat on ball, plus defender. Also, Lorenzo Cain, you can't measure his veteran presence in our clubhouse. I mean, without Lorenzo Cain last year, showing his toughness out there, I don't even know if the team would be able to stay together with that Yelich going down. So I think those are two guys that are right on the cusp of the top 100 as well. That's huge. Yeah, I would say Lorenzo is getting disrespected by not being on this list. I mean, the man's won a World Series. He's been in another one. He's been in the playoffs pretty much every year of his career, a good portion of his career. One, you know one of the best defenders in center field. He's always robbing home runs. It just takes us back to opening day last year when he robbed that. He made that incredible catch just to seal the game. Uh, I would argue that he, he should probably be on this list, but understand why they took him off. His back kind of went to sleep last year. And, and he spoke about the frustration a little bit, how he was kind of in a hole. I think he'll reestablish himself in this list. And I think... In terms of another snub, I'm not saying he deserved to be in the list in its entirety, but if we talk about context a little bit, any given day, Ryan Braun can be not only a top 100 player in baseball, but he could probably be top 30 on any given day. Like, he has no fear at the major league level. He doesn't fear these pitchers. He doesn't fear Steven Strasburg. He doesn't fear Jacob deGrom. He doesn't fear Garrett Cole. Like, they may have filthy stuff, but Braun, he's seen it all. You know, he's seen... He's been in the league for a while now, and uh, he's clutch. You know, big hits. He's been around the block. He might strike out, but he is not afraid up there, bringing the intangible leadership, uh, kind of a shield for the team in terms of in terms of criticism on the road. When these Brewers are on the road, they're not necessarily getting booze directed at Christian Yelich. Like they might, because he's so dang good at these at this point. Uh, Lorenzo Kane might not be getting booze directed at him. Keston Harris might not be getting booze directed at him. All of that fan, you know, fan insult, whatever you want to call it, is being directed at Ryan Braun for the cheating, which unfortunately it happened, but we still love the guy in Milwaukee. He's been loyal to Milwaukee. I know I personally have a lot of love for Ryan Braun. Uh, Brewers fans everywhere, we see it on like Brewers. We'll tweet something about Ryan Braun and it'll go crazy. Um, but he is really just a man of Milwaukee. And I think on any given day, he does battle injuries, but on any given day, he could be a top 30, a top 50, a top 100 player. So Yeah, and he's an activist for the community, kind of like you said, and he is beyond clutch. I mean, even when I was younger, he was the player I really remember when it came to big moments getting the Brewers of the postseason when they weren't really there before with Ricky Weeks and Prince Fielder and JJ Hardy, JJ Hardy and all CC. those. Ben Sheets, I believe, was on that roster. Giovanni Gallardo, that's going way back, but... yeah. <laughs> He just kind of brings out the happy moments of he does. older Brewer times, and that's always something I'll think back to with Ryan Braun. And being able to maintain the even-keeledness that he has throughout his career with all the outside noise he has had to hear from 
not only other teams in the NL, but teams from the AL and every team he visits, they're booing him still to it's this bad. day. It's bad. It's bad. And like he not to say he doesn't deserve it, but it's some he's handled it as well as he could. And you know, Ryan, if you're listening, we're huge fans of you over here at uh Ike Brewers and I think the community just loves you as well. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh we, we appreciate you on this team. And the third guy you mentioned, uh Abisil Garcia, you know, I'm interested to see what he can do. Players come to Miller Park, and they usually perform better. So I think he's one of those guys who could knock on the door to a top 100 spot and really surprise some people. But I know you want to talk about him a little more in a sec, so we'll save it. Um, so let's let's just go to the Brewers who did make the list. Kesson Hera, number 98. What do you think? Too high, too low, just right? Honestly, for me, I think it's a little low because I think Kesson Hayora is going to be – an all-star this year, which is automatically puts you as about a top 50 player. I mean, he's going to threaten for 35, 40 home runs. He's a 300 hitter, potentially. I mean, his fielding woes have been a little bit of an issue. but I'm concerning. I'm but we knew that. Everyone knew that. We knew in. that, yeah. But when we're talking about hitting the baseball, I don't think there's many better center infielders in the major leagues than Keston Hayora, especially with the upside potential he has because he has been a top prospect and he's already been fulfilling the legacy that people sought after for him. So it's really impressive to see him maintaining that trajectory going forward. Yeah, like you said, the defensive issues, they're there. Uh, that's why he's at second base. That's why he's not a shortstop. But the billing on this guy is that he was the consensus top bat in his draft class. Uh, he came from Cal- uh, I think it was UC Irving or something yeah. like that. UC Irvine, are you right? And, um, you know, in college, he was a top bat, so he was already a little more advanced than these guys. The Brewers drafted him. We put him in our system. He just hit the ground running. Next thing you know, he forces his way into the majors cause, just because he's got such a good bat. And after July 1st, his OPS was 976. That was third in baseball among second basemen. Uh, you know, he doesn't really have a great arm. He doesn't really have a lot of range. But if you can hit close to 1,000 OPS from your second baseman, that is going to take your team places. Um, I know there's a few second basemen ranked a little higher than Keston Hira. Uh, Ozzy Albis is one that comes to mind. There's no doubt Keston is a superior hitter. But obviously, you know, he, he's got he's the good. defensive ability. He's good. Um, I think Kesson Harris is just about right. I think he's given a lot of respect as the number 98th player, just being recognized as a top 100 player, despite not even having a full season in the majors. Yeah. Full season. Um, any predictions on home runs at, at this point real quick? For Kesson Hyora, I'll put the over under at about 32. I was going to say 30. I think if he can hit 30, like 35 seems like a little high for me, but he could probably do it. He could do it. I know there was a lot of frustration amongst Brewers fans last year when he was sent down after he got called up and just started raking because sometimes if these guys hit the ground running in the majors, you don't want to like mess with them too much. You just want to let them do their thing. And luckily for the Brewers, the little send down didn't mess up his mojo and all. he came back up and just raked so it just speaks to him too as a baseball player because that is a dramatic change because you can go from very high to very low getting the call up to the bigs and then when you're performing at a peak level getting sent back down because i bet you a lot of the demons can come out in your head in that regard and saying oh i hit the ball really well but is my, what am feel- I doing is my feeling this bad is yeah it? so that can maybe make you dog down in the fielding and you're batting a little bit more but for him it looks like he took the chink in the armor brushed it aside and Grew from it and yeah. got better as a player. So it'll be exciting to see what he does in a full year. So number 96, Brandon Woodruff, 
now that Zach Davies is gone, I mean, probably the undisputed ace on the staff. Uh, Davies had a great year. We're going to miss him. We got some solid players back for him, but Brandon Woodruff always had the superior stuff. And this guy has always gotten a lot of strikeouts. His ERA, uh, you know, 3.53 as a starter. Um, you know, he missed some time with an injury, but he was pretty dominant and the stuff was on display. Kind of looks like, you know, a number one and number two. Number 96 on the list, that would put him, you know, top three player on an average squad. Like, what, what do you think about that ranking? Too high, too low, or just right? I think it's just about right. I'd say he's in the 75 to 100 area, give or take a little bit on personal preference. But Woodruff is kind of one of those guys who's always been a good ball player. He's just kind of slowly turned his role into being a ace starting pitcher because that's not originally what he was here to be, but it was something that we discovered along the process, and it's been Really beneficial, obviously, for the team because him and Adrian Hauser look to be heading the rotation this season. That's going to be exciting. And one name that we'll touch on, maybe we'll get a little bit more deeper into in a sec, but how different, you, know, you don't have to give me a super long answer, but how different are Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff? Because I don't think they're that different. I mean, Brandon, Brandon Woodruff clearly has done it at the major league level. Corbin Burns had an incredible 20 uh 2018 season and he's demonstrated elite stuff uh I mean if Brandon Woodruff like you said is a 75 to 100 player which I agree I think that's a perfect spot for him he hasn't really proven himself for real yet uh he had a good year but he still needs to prove himself but Corbin Burns man if, the, if a couple things go right with him for the Brewers this year there's no telling that he couldn't have a season just like Woodruff he's got the stuff to do it he does and even the way he delivers the ball from his windup and delivery is very unique, and I think that's going to be key in his uh, process to getting back to the place he was at before because it's hard to spot the ball out of his hands. But he just kind of went through a little bit of that uh, Derek Turnbull mentality phase Syndrome. where yep. he just lost it for a little while. But said he shaved the beard, he got rid of the glasses, he got contact lenses, getting some of the demons out of him. I think he'll be. <laughs> I think he'll be okay going into this season. I'm optimistic when it comes to Corbin because his stuff's there. Yeah, and he seems like an intelligent kid too. So I think it's just him bringing it all together, settling down, kind of being humbled a bit because maybe he got a little bit ahead of himself because he had that early success. It's possible. That he yeah. walked in the next season thinking, oh, I'm going to be completely dominant now. Yeah. And then when it got off to a bad start, he does unravel a bit. Yeah. But hopefully he's been able to wind it back up and he's in a better place to start off the season. Yeah, I'm optimistic about Corbin. So we go up the list, number 36, Josh Hader. He's the top relief pitcher on this list. I'd say that's accurate. Probably, that's accurate. Probably the most dominant reliever in the MLB. Uh, it really stings. It really stings the way that the season ended, but it would be unfair to put that blame on Josh Hader. Um, I don't see that being on Hader. I see that being more of a <clears throat> not even a shot at council. I just think it was the wrong managerial decision to pull a very red-hot mm -hmm. Drew Pomeranz. Absolutely. When Josh Hader struggles have stemmed from him having two inning appearances. That has been where... Hater has had those issues. It's when he's had the three guys he has to get out, it's been sublime. No problem. But if it goes four, five, six, the numbers start to skew a little bit more favorable towards the hitting team. So it was kind of one of those moments where it was a little bit of a mix of both parties, but I think that came a little bit more down to the managing of that moment, which is a good learning experience for Craig because I guarantee you he lost some sleep over that. Oh, absolutely. I think so, everyone is looking at themselves in the mirror. What could I have done differently? Uh, yeah, Josh Hader... I'm a little, if I'm being honest, I'm a little worried that he's going to regress. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, his stuff is elite. He needs to throw 
He needs to vary his pitches more. I mean, mm-hmm. whether that's a changeup or his slider. He's been working on the slider. He needs to at least make hitters think that there's a possibility they might get something off speed because before Hader locked it in and became, you know, even more dominant than he's used to being dominant, he gave up a, a few home runs in that stretch in August when it looked like the bo- the bottom was going to collapse underneath the Brewers. Uh, and, you know, the, you look at the numbers, his strikeout, Per nine is just absurd. It might be the greatest of all what time. What is it, 14 or 15, or is it a little I bit think, higher? I think it's even higher than it might that. Be 17. I, yeah, I, correct. I think it's in the 16s. I'd have to double check. But Hader is a weapon for the crew. Uh, and he we, just radiates that, too. Like his look, the long hair. It's true. So even keeled the way he stares down everybody. When It doesn't seem like he gets affected, really, by the emotions of everyone else in the ballpark. He just has that closer's look to him, that mentality. And I think he drives that fear and batter still, which is some closers don't have that effect when they can come in and they can be good at what they're doing, but they just don't have that effect, you know, mm-hmm. of being intimidating. But he almost has like that Mariana Rivera, he Billy does. Wagner. Yeah. He just has that look where you're just like, okay, Chapman. it's about yeah. to get real. Or it's even a, Kenley Jansen a couple years ago last year. He had with the Dodgers, there. yeah. But there's a lot of guys that just have that aura around them. When you, when you see Hater come in, it's even kind of like Trevor Hoffman. When you heard Hell's Bells, everyone's <laughs> like, okay, we got a W. Yeah. That's what you would always think. So him being at 36, I think, is very respectful and respectable by ESPN. I think they did a really good job there because I think they're putting into account his aura as a player for the whole team in the city in general and like his impact on the league because he's that iconic figure in terms of a closer right now because mm-hmm. he has that look. He has that mold. He has that shape. So I think they're kind of rolling with it as well. I agree. And and quick question before we move to the last brew on this list. We we forgot to touch on this earlier, but if Corey Knable did not have Tommy John, he should be on this list. Like, that man is a beast. <laughs> that I totally agree with you, too. I mean, that guy has a killer's mentality when he's out there pitching. It almost looks like he's really upset against every guy that comes in that <laughs> batter's box. Like, you tried taking a sister out on a date in high school or something. That's seriously what it's like every time when Nabel's pitching. It's just so much aggression. But he does such a good job channeling it about 95% of the time that he's been a phenom when he's been healthy. So if him and Hayter can be teaming up in the bullpen this year, maybe Angel Perdomo, if he has a really good spring training and he can get it going, we got some guys who can chuck the heat, and we just have some intimidating guys in the bullpen. Yeah, so uh, what's encouraging for Brewers fans is that Corey Knable, unfortunately he did have to have Tommy John, but the good news is is that these doctors are better than ever at just helping guys come back from this. So Michael Kopech, uh for the White Sox, he had Tommy John and, you know, top pitching prospect. And he, uh, I think they got him in the Chris Sale deal, but he was throwing like triple digits in his first appearance back from Tommy John. So if, hey, if Corey Knable was throwing like 97, 98, 99 before Tommy John comes back, those 96, like I think we'll be all right because his breaking ball is nasty. It just depends on when he's going to come back and how he comes back. Like, as we saw last year, Jimmy Nelson just never really materialized. Um, you know, to be honest, he probably spent way too much time playing video games. Uh, now that he's out of the Brewers organization, I, I feel comfortable saying that. But every single time I would see some Jimmy Nelson thing that wasn't on the field, uh, he would be just playing video games, whether he's in his hotel room playing video games, whether he's you know, spring training, playing video games. The man was just always playing video games, and it irritated me as a fan because he was a beast before his injury. And Sayon candidate, yeah, he was a legitimate I mean, I mean, Sayon candidate. He was candidate. like Woodruff was now, back a couple, you know, 
a couple years ago before there were people he people chattering about him. He was getting good. He was a strikeout machine, and and it's just unfortunate uh, because it's all water under the bridge at this point. But Jimmy Nelson has never been the same, and you know, I guess it just depends how Corey Canable comes back. And it's, it kind it's of reiterates our fact from earlier, where it can just be so volatile in terms of baseball with your mentality. You can go from being a Cy Young candidate, you endure an injury that doesn't make you go through a physical amount of pain but mental as well and some people can get out of it and get better and some people like you said want to play a little bit too much Fortnite at sometimes and it can affect your rehabilitation process and trying to make yourself better well exactly i mean like there's other guys out there that are working there you know what's off like they're just working while people are playing video games there's other people getting better uh so we're moving up the list to number four kristen yelich Real quick, I'm going to read you guys his stats from his two seasons in Milwaukee. He had 1,063 at-bats across 277 games, 63 doubles, so he's averaging about 30, 31 doubles a season, 80 home runs. It's a clean 40. Obviously, that would be higher if he played another month last year. 207 RBIs, breaks the 100 average. Phenomenal. That's all you can ask. 52 stolen bases, a 26 stolen base average? What? You know, that probably goes up to 30 if he plays another month last year. Six caught stealings? He's pretty good at base running. Something that you'll never really hear much about in the MVP discussion. 148 walks in 277 games. That's about a walk every other game. Pretty solid. That's pretty good. Gives him an on, or excuse me, Three twenty-seven batting average as across his two seasons, a four fifteen on base percentage, absurd, a six thirty-one slugging percentage, absurd, and a one point oh four six OPS average across the two seasons he's been in Milwaukee. So that man, while playing exceptional defense, he's won a gold glove in his career. That is the man that the four letter network decided to rank fourth. And if you take the name out of that argument, you look at that player and you think that's an icon. You think that's a Pujols. You think that's a Bonds. That's a the Pujols sounds like a great you literally comparison because you would always hit like three thirty. Yeah, this just, isn't like three hundred. You know, like Bond, but three thirty is tough. And you're, not, and you're not like thinking of this guy of like a two or three time All Star. When you see those type of statistics, that's an icon, and that just makes the signing for him being here for the next de- decade all the more important because some people may think it's a flash in the pan, but I think it's just a foresight into the near future of what's to come. I agree. So the three players that Four Letter Network ranks ahead of Christian Yelich are number three, Jacob deGrom, starting pitcher for the New York Mets. He's an ace, no question about it. This team is trash, but hey, maybe it'll be better this year. Garrett Cole came from the Astros, uh, definitely an ace, you know, no doubt about it. He got the biggest pitching contract ever. It's absurd. Mike Trout, number one. That's the one where I don't think it, that's like the only one I want to argue is Mike Trout being number yeah, one. Yeah, no one's going to hate on that ranking. Um, I think he deserves it. Like he deserves to be there. Although, let's see, I got Mike Trout stats right here. You know, he's pretty comparable to Yelich. Uh, Yelich, Trout hit uh, 291 last year. Yelich hit like three, like 329. Um, Yelich hit 326 in 2018, and Trout hit 
312. So Yelich is a better contact hitter than Mike Trout. And and what's crazy is that Trout actually is now hitting more home runs than he's ever hit. You know, maybe it's the Jesus baseball. They're both baseball. even in terms of power. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not going to hate on Trout in any aspect, but what I am going to say is that Christian Yelich is right is there. Absolutely right there. It's he can do anything Trout can do. Trout might do it a tad more consistent. You might do it a tad more consistent. But I tell you what, where's Trout at in the playoffs? I don't see him. Yeah, his team's usually see, not there. I don't see him in the playoffs. So, you know, that's something that maybe these writers should pay a little bit more attention to. Um, but once again, Mike Trout, a phenomenal player. And and I'll say this. You, you kind of brought the point up before we started recording. But to have those two starters, at, you know, ahead of Yelich, I just don't think so. Me. I just don't think so. I think Yelich is number two. I'd have no problem putting Cole and in, in DeGrom three and four. But I think it's Trout and Yelich at this point. I think it's Trout and Yelich, de facto, you know, 1A, 1B. Uh, any any more thoughts before we move on? I would even say guys like Ronald Asuna Jr., and Cody Bellinger have arguments over these guys because five tool baseball players that are playing for your team 140 to 163 games for you is going to have a lot more impact than a guy who can pitch 30 to 35 games per year. And even if they do well in all of those outings, sometimes they can only get you 15 wins on a season. Whereas the wins above replacements in terms of positional players is just going to be such more of an outweighing option in terms of your team's success, in my opinion. And I think Yelich and Mike Trout are just the epitome of elite baseball right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, one's a 99, one's a 98, one's a 98, one's a 97. Pretty it's much. right there. Whereas I think DeGrom and... Garrett Cole. And, uh, Garrett Cole are probably in the 95 to 97 range in terms of overall, so right there as well. well but the they, impact... They might even be 99s, 98s, but they're only going one every five days. You know, Christian Yelich, every single lineup or every single game in a series, you got a game plan for that, man. Garrett Cole, you got a game plan for him one time. And then if you're in the playoffs, he goes every three days, whatever. Uh, but still, you have games where you don't have to game plan for him, and he's not your problem. Well, Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, those guys, well, actually, Mike Trout needs to get back in the playoffs. But Christian Yelich, every single game, he's a problem. You gotta If you don't game plan for that guy, if you don't look at the scouting reports, that ball is going in the river. It's going in the seats. It's going off the wall. Runs are going to score. He's dangerous. And people might make the argument because – it's a nine-man lineup versus a five-man rotation that the rotation might have a little bit more value per part. But I just don't think that's really how it plays out in this yeah, it's, like, regard. It's fair, but I, I would lean towards the latter. I like that everyday impact. So, so we could talk for a while. It's a big debate to have. But let's talk about, um, you notice, like, the squad. The squad has changed a lot. If we look at last year, uh, you know, going from in terms of wins above replacement, the stat is called war. It really just measures a player's overall uh, impact on the game and Christian Yelich had 7.1 war which is crazy he's back of course but Mike Moustakas was number two on the team he was 3.2 war he's now in Cincy uh, Lorenzo Cain he was 2.8 war he'll be back hopefully he'll be more more than that Yasmani Grandal was fourth he was 2.5 war uh, elite offense from the catching position switch hitter not the best defender, but very, very, very underrated in his defense. Great framer. One of the best framers Great in baseball. Great framer. One of the most underrated aspects of the game. We'll see if, uh, what happens in the future with these robotic strike zones, but pitch framing is so valuable and no one really talks about it. No one it. picks up on it, but he was at the cusp of the best in the MLB, not just last year, but the entirety of his career. 
Then you have Keston Hira. He had 2.1 more. Ryan Braun had 1.8. Eric Thames is next. He had 1.6 as a bench guy. Uh, he's unfortunately in Washington on a one-year $4 million deal. Absolutely hate to see that. Um, you know, I trust David Stearns. He brought in Justin Smoke. Uh, we have a couple guys who could play first. I imagine Braun might get some time with Garcia now in the outfield. Uh, but Thames is no longer with us. He had a pretty, pretty amazing season last year with less than 400 at-bats to accumulate 1.6 war. That's, that's a solid player for a $5 million dealer, whatever kind of number he was on. Uh, then you have Trent Grisham. He is also gone. He's with the Padres now, shipped out in that Zach Davies deal. Um, Nanny Pena, he's still around. Ben Gamble, he's still around. Uh, Corey Spangenberg, I think he's... He's a fringe roster guy. Yeah, he he might have a shot. Um, but that's pretty much it. Uh, a lot of turnover. A lot of turnover from these guys. But the main losses on the offensive end were Moustakis, Grandal, and Eric Thames, and then Trent Grisham, who had that devastating, devastating error in the final game. And Left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Once again, it's all water in the bridge. But, man, talk about a bad time to have an F up like that. Change his career outlook in Milwaukee, that's for sure. He ain't here no more. He ain't here no more. Um, okay, so so in terms of moves, like who have we brought in, uh, who's new with the team, you look at some of these guys like Brett Anderson, he's new, uh, you know, pitched for the A's many years. He's always had pretty effective stuff. He's battled injuries. Uh, you look at guys like Eric Lauer. He came in in that Zach Davies deal. He, he's hurt right now, but he's probably going to be expected to make an impact. He's a lefty, so that's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Josh Lindblom. Coming from overseas. That's an interesting one. It's kind of like the Eric Thames, but a role reversal in terms of it being a starting pitcher for us. Exactly. So it's always curious to see the growth trajectories players have had once they've gone to a totally different like look, feel culture and then coming back to the MOB and kind of seeing how they transition. So I'm interested to see how he pans out for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have your boy uh, Angel Perdomo. Yes. He's been having a pretty good spring. Yeah, he's pe- pitched 10 innings this far. He has 10 strikeouts, I think one walk, and he's only given up one hit. So that is very promising if we're looking for a powerful reliever sometime in the middle of this season, maybe Absolutely. early. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Bobby Whale, uh, he's a guy who we got last offseason, but he was injured, so he'll look to make an impact this year. Catchers, we picked up Omar Nava. Or, or I think it's Omar Nabase. Yeah. And he's an elite hitter. He's probably a top eight catcher, hitting catcher in the major leagues. Okay. What kind of takes him out in terms of his overall o- value? His overall value is he's not very good behind the plate. He's not. He actually ranked bottom eight in most metrics when it came to defensive statistics for catchers. So I think the platoon option with him and Manny Pena will work out well because Narvaez hits 280. He's a good hitter. He's never hit under 270 in his major league career. And let me say that again to everyone listening. He hasn't hit under 270 in his major league career, which means he's got plenty of proof, plenty of substance behind putting the bat on ball. And coming to Miller Park, yep. I don't see 30 home runs. Maybe maybe 20 if he doesn't play the full season as like a platoon player. I could see 20, 20 25 home runs for this guy. That would be doable in an American Family Park. Let's, let's throw a bold question out there right now. Who has the better season offensively? Yasmani with the White Sox or Omar with the Brewers? As a whole, I'll say Grandal because he'll get a lot more opportunity, I think, obviously. He's good. 
But I think when it comes down to the statistics, kind of like measuring the two players together, I think it'll be a little bit more even because just looking back on last year, Nervais had 119 hits, 22 home runs, 55 RBIs. He had 278 with 92 strikeouts, whereas Grandal only had seven more hits. He had six more home runs. He had 20 more RBIs, but his batting average was 30 points less with 40 more strikeouts. And he had 100 more bats, too. So if you put that in the retrospect of trying to, like, equal each other's statistics, Nervais would have probably hit 20 more hits than him. He probably would have been tied with home runs. And it would have probably been essentially the same. It's just the defensive contributions Yasmani brings to the table just boosts his value a little bit more in terms of the whole aspect of the game. He also has been around for longer. And, and the one number that I'm going to – I'm not going to disagree with you. I think Yasmani, like, respect to Omar, but I think Yasmani might be a little better hitter. But guess what? Yasmani is making over $18 million a year. Exactly. And that's where David Stearns just starts slinging. You know, he's slinging his cards, and he's – not sure how much Omar is making, but it's significantly less than 18 mil. So. I mean, Yelich is barely making more than Yaz. Think about it's that crazy. Brewers fans. That maybe right now, I think Yelich is making either, what is it, 14 or 15? And by the end of this new contract, it'll turn into 20 and 21 and a half million. Yeah, I'd have to look at the yeah, numbers. Yes, Monty Grandel is literally in the average of those sums. And we're paying the second best player in baseball an absolute steal of a contract in 2020. It's kind of crazy. And real quick, I just want to remind all of our listeners out there that there were a lot of Brewers fans who didn't necessarily like David Stearns, accused him of you know, not making any moves. Well, guess what? The man has a Harvard degree, and I'm not saying that means anything, but it definitely means something. He's and smart. He's smart, and he has made moves that might have gone under your radar to begin the season, but hopefully we can get you hyped up a little bit for opening day because there are some acquisitions that this team has made that might not be flashy, but in terms of being good ball players. I know it's you all about some... the greater sum of the team, yeah. not the individual parts. Absolutely. And they all supplement each other, ideally. And I can see what Stearns is doing is almost ingenious. I don't want to jinx it, but I have nice aspirations for this squad. He's earned our trust. Two years, or, uh, you know, two straight playoff appearances, uh, you know, really led us through this rebuild. Like, he's earned our trust. And he's getting major league recognition for it. The New York Metropolitans have been interested in his services for a long time. Who isn't inter- so in- interested in that? We're lucky so. to have him. Uh, other additions, Brock Holt, a lot of Red Sox fans are devastated to see him go. He's a super utility guy. He Apparently, he's an amazing clubhouse guy. Just really good for the Brewers culture, which we've built here. A big reason why Yelich wanted to stay. A big reason why these players like Moose will take a dirt cheap deal. Granted, the market uh, dried up a little bit. But, you know, these players aren't going to come back to Milwaukee if it's a, if it's a nasty place or if they don't like playing there. They love playing there. And all indications are that Brock Holt is just going to add to that while also contributing versatility and offense. Guy plays every position. And I was actually reading an article from Boston itself how they were saying the Brewers are getting, in their own way, another Ryan Braun. Because the way Ryan Braun is to the Brewers franchise is kind of how Brock Holt has been to the Red Sox franchise. Where he would just go out with people in the city, get drinks with them, get food, just constantly be interacting with people from the area and just getting at one with the team and with him it's just like ryan braun as well where it's not just off the field brock holt can play every position and he hits what 290 for his career so he's a good baseball player too so if he's not even an everyday player and he's someone that gets 250 to 300 plate appearances this season i guarantee you he's going to slash at least 270 275 for you i expect just a solid contributor up and down you know 
the entire year. Uh, will be interesting to see if he gets if he carves out like a role as a starter. Um, the opportunity can definitely be there, especially with injury risk. You never absolutely. know what's going to unfold. So Luis Urias, he was the other kind of the main piece that came back to the Brewers in that trade with San Diego. He's been hurt, but signs are encouraging, and uh, he's going to push. Orlando Garcia to really play his best ball because unfortunately if he doesn't he's out the door and guess what Orlando Garcia has been raking this spring he's made a few adjustments to his swing Brewers fans should be very very excited about Orlando Garcia's spring training granted it is just spring training so we shouldn't put too much stock in it but I think uh, Orlando he had his first kid he's a father uh, a lot of that commotion might be behind him, and he's finally able to focus on baseball. But he's also got a fire underneath him because if he hasn't produced at this point, you know, he's, he might be out of town. And and those of us who have been following Orlando for a while know that he was always a good hitter. Even when he broke through in the in the majors uh, his first couple of years, he he could hit for power. I know I was personally there when he hit his first ever home run. He I was sm- actually at that game too. He smacked it, and it was like a no doubt. It was like 420-something. I was like, that's encouraging. Our shortstop just knocked that kind of power. Uh, his first year, full year, I know he was hitting like 270s or 280 or something like that. But it, it's really been bad the last couple of years. But his defense has never been the issue. If he can give us 270, maybe 15 home runs, just amazing defense, and also his his energy, his clubhouse enthusiasm, like that's an underrated part of Orlando. Everybody loves Orlando, including us. Uh, any last thoughts on Orlando? Uh, it's just going to be curious to see if he can keep this positive momentum rolling going forward because Luis Urias kind of coming here to challenge him in a way is also interesting in itself because he's coming off his first full season last year because I believe the season before that he only played in about up and down a little bit. Up and down a little bit. I think he got 53 plate appearances or something He's like that. He's a good prospect, though. He's like a top 25 prospect. So it was good to get him back in the deal, cost control. But Exactly. It's perfect to put him and Arcia in kind of the same platoon. Room, like same a competition. Because they're literally battling each other because they've both been pronounced elite prospects, potential all-stars in the majors. So maybe it'll get the best out of both of them, upping the trade value of one player at some point, or it'll result in us finding our everyday shortstop. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great situation to be in, having these two young guns surrounded by some veterans like we do in the clubhouse with Lorenzo Cain, Ryan Braun. Yelich. Even Yelich and Jed Gallarco, a guy we just signed. He's a veteran, been all around, even included in the NL Central with the Cardinals. So it's good to have that contrast in styles in terms of guys who have the chip on their shoulder who are young, trying to establish themselves as the new stars, as well as the guys who are... There, I've been the there with Braun and Yelich, and Hayora is on his way, getting kind of over those initial humps of being nervous. Like that's a guy that's going off tangent a little bit, but I don't think Hayora is going to have any chance for a setback. I see big things for him in the future. Big fan of Kesson. Um, you know, real quick before we move on, say the the ultimate worst case scenario happens, and neither Orlando or Luis Urias end up really sticking as the Brewers answer at shortstop. I think Urias especially is going to get a long leash for a couple of years, but if both those guys flame out, worst case, God forbid, our top prospect, Bryce Turing, he's in high A. You know, he's a, maybe a year or two away from the majors. He, This guy was looked at as a potential number one overall pick. Uh, didn't have, you know, a great spring showcase or whatever and ended up slipping to the Brewers. Well, he had a really good uh, year last year, so he's 
top 100 prospect. I know a lot of people like to talk down to the Brewers farm system, but we have a good one in Bryce Turing, and he happens to be a slick fielding shortstop as well. Very athletic happens player. Happens that he fits the one need that we're going to need going forward most likely. Mm-hmm. Not most likely, but who, in case of a bad scenario. Who will be Kesson Harris' double play partner? That's something that we're going to find out. In, it's going to unfold come. this year yeah. and shortly. Because it looks gonna like be... he's going to lock down second for a while. Yeah, it seems like it's him, his for the next 10 years. Hopefully we can sign him as well. Uh, so Justin Smoke, first base edition, kind of a unique player. We'll see what he does. Similar, for me, it's a very similar to an Eric Thames-like guy, a guy who can get you 20 to 40 home runs. He's probably going to strike out a lot, but he's big. He's strong. He can blast the ball 450, 450 feet. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fills that Eric Thames role. Because Eric that's Thames, really yeah. Thames, sorry. Yeah. That's literally what I predict from him, yeah. is to fill that exact void that Thames is leaving with. Yeah, and and the one thing Bruce fans should know about Smoke is that he's, you know, he can uh, switch hit, and also he takes his walks. So, I think David Stern. That's a big one. He's a very analytical guy. The Brewers are a very analytical organization, and that means they're playing the money ball. They're playing the on base percentage, and uh, Justin Smoke seems to be one of those guys who can fit right in. Luckily, if he doesn't work out. Throw Ryan Braun at first. I mean, Keston Hara, you could throw him at first. Uh, we have Brock some Holt, they've been even saying. Brock Holt could get some time. Yeah, so, so that's the theme of this year's team is by design versatility, and that's going to really help us. So, so let's look at the outfielders real quick before we kind of talk big picture. Uh, one newcomer, Avisil Garcia. You want to give us a lowdown on him real quick? So I think Avisil Garcia – might be at the forefront of this team taking the next step in terms of making to the playoffs and being able to win a series because he's been a guy who's hit 270 perennially throughout his career. He's been able to hit 20 home runs, but for the for the beginning of his career, he was legged down by the Mariners playing in Seattle as well as being a Not white Not the best set. park, yeah. Not the best park to hit. And that's something that actually comes into play and can obscure your numbers a little bit by probably six to ten home runs, give or take. But... I wouldn't be surprised, and these are just my personal projections, if Avisil Garcia hit around 290 this year, around 30 home runs, 80 RBIs, and people don't give him credit for his speed. Mm. He's actually got a top eight sprint speed for all of outfielders in baseball. So he hasn't necessarily been able to generate it to the base paths quite yet, but yeah. he has had double-digit steals. So if you give him a full roll with this team, I think 18 stolen bases, 20 stolen bases could happen as well. And... I think he could be your third positional all-star for the Brewers this year if all goes well with alongside Keston and Yelich because Avisil checks all the boxes mm-hmm. off of good swinger, good contact. He's got power. Crazy power. He's just everything you kind of want in a Brewer. He's toolsy. He's a very toolsy outfielder. That's how I describe him. And we'll see if he puts it together. Going back to your point a couple, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago about Yelly being comfortable, I think uh, Avisil is going to experience that Milwaukee comfort. He's just going to hey, you know, I enjoy coming to the ballpark every day, and I'm going to play better because of it. So I'm very optimistic about him as well. Would you say he is your favorite move of the offseason? I would say for sure Abisail is my favorite move of the offseason. Favorite pickup, maybe the Yelly extension, but say, say favorite newcomer. Acquisition. Yeah, acquisition. Favorite acquisition would be Abisail. And this kind of also reminds me of back in my heyday of when we had El Caballo, Carlos Lee. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I could kind of see this being that same type of player. Obviously, the circumstances didn't turn out as great for that team. Well, and Carlos is a little chubby. Little chubby, but yeah. he was the he power could guy he could who was underratedly athletically, which people never gave him credit for. But Abasale's kind of that stocky guy when you look at him and go, he's strong. You don't think he can run well. Out of seeing him fill in that role really well has, 
if he's our fourth best hitter, we're in decent shape. We're in great shape. Yeah. So hey, maybe Lorenzo will break out again. Exactly. So, but uh, my favorite move, I'm just gonna go with Brock Holt, and and the reason for this is because of everything I've heard, everything I've read regarding this man's you know makeup, his uh, just like the stuff that you won't find in the box score. Like yes, he does check a huge box of versatility. Um, you know he's got some pretty good hitting numbers, although he has utility, uh, utility type volume, but he's just going to help other guys around him be more comfortable. Other newcomers play better. And I think David Stearns, Craig Council, Mark Ananasio, but mostly David Stearns, when they were building this squad out for this year, they realized they did have a lot of turnovers. So even more so in years past, it's very important for them to get high character guys and Brock Holt absolutely fits the bill. He's everything you could ask for and more, especially in that terms of being a locker room guy. I mean, it's absolutely perfect to pair him alongside Christian Yelich, Ryan Braun, and some of the other guys in the clubhouse. All right. Um, favorite move? What's your least favorite move? Least favorite acquisition, so to speak. I mean... Or, I guess, move. Least favorite move. Least favorite move, but this isn't the entirety of the move. It's just one half of it, unfortunately. But replacing Grandal with Nervares and Manny Pena is definitely going to be a defensive difference in terms of last year because... Just going off of fielding runs above average, Nervais is negative 12.5, whereas Yaz was 20.1. So that's a 32.6 point switch around in terms of statistical output for them. Yeah. So I think that could be definitely something we need to keep an eye on. Because Manny Pena is definitely better than that. I did not get around to seeing what his stats were He's for pretty that. good. But Manny, he's a, he had a good season. He's done a lot of growing, too. That's another thing I've realized with Manny Pena, is he came in as a negative def- defensive catcher, and he's been able to flip the script into a positive defensive catcher. And hopefully that can also create a better outlook for Nervais, getting a little bit better. Because even if he can get back to the average side of things, that'd be huge in terms of his production for the team. I think so, too. That's a, that's a good move. Uh, I'm optimistic. I think you're optimistic, too. It's going to hurt to lose Yaz, uh, but I think it, it'll work out. So my least favorite move, I trust in Stearns. We preach that at Ike Brewers, but, man, letting Eric Thames go, that really hurt. That really hurt just because of the price. I mean, Thames, we wouldn't have made the playoffs without him. We wouldn't. He was so clutch, and he was kind of like a little bit of a platoon guy. He's a fan favorite. Had a lot of good hits. Absolutely a fan hit favorite. But we don't even talk about him as much because he didn't play, you know, as regular as like a Lorenzo Cain or like an uh, Orlando Arcia or like a Ryan Braun or a Yelich. But his impact was undeniable. Clutch home runs. That's what I'll remember about Thames. Hurts to see him go to the Nationals, but I wish nothing but the best to Eric Thames. Yeah, we gave him a shot coming back overseas, and I think he did a pretty good job. Oh, he, job, he exceeded so. his contract's value, in my opinion. You know, three years, 15 mil, he exceeded that. For sure. Uh, okay, let's transition a little bit. State of the division. NL Central is supposed to be pretty good this year. We have the Cubs, the Brewers, the Pirates, the Cardinals, and the Cincinnati Reds. I'm just going to jump right in. I'm going to rank who I think, uh, how the division is going to pre- you know, gonna play out. And I'm a little biased here, but I think the Brewers, it's theirs to lose. Uh, you know, On paper, we have a lot of turnover, but our puzzle is meant to fit together. That's how David Stearns constructs his team. Uh, the Cubs, as talented as ever. You know, them and the Cardinals, I think, you know, 2A, 2B. Like, honestly, any of those teams could win the division, whether it's the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Cubs. Uh, Cubs extremely talented on paper. New manager Joe Madden's gone. He was a scapegoat. I would I would say blatantly. You know he got the short end of the stick for all the 
underlying First world problems series in 100 there. years, and he turns into their scapegoat. Well, and it's like the whole Chris Bryant thing where he's just, like, so upset that he can't get his money a year early. It's like, man, you already have plenty of money. You're going to be just fine. Like, that's, like, just a distraction. He's make, you know, he's offering comments last offseason why no one was signing Bryce Harper. Well, no one wanted to give Bryce Harper his money because he's overrated AF. He's overrated. But, uh, you know, hope hopefully Bryce doesn't come out and slug, like, 50 home runs to make me my words. But I'm just going to call him overrated and – you know, the Cubs, it's always something. Like, we always, we know how their fans are. Uh, I'm not trying to blanket the fan base, but, you know, we know how they are. Uh, so talented. So talented. You Darvish, he picked it up. A lot of talent on that squad. Javi Baez is you know, elite. I, it kills me to say that. but He's, he's an a, elite player. He's an elite player. And then you go to St. Louis, they're dangerous. Like, th- that's a team you cannot sleep on is the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't want to sleep on them. Uh, they always seem to be, you know... They're kind of like the, the Spurs of our baseball lives. Pretty they're much. they're always really good. They're always right there. And then, and then right below them, or even right above them perhaps, the Cincinnati Reds. And I'll tell you what I really, really, really dislike about them. It's that they hired our freaking pitching coach, Derek Johnson. That was devastating to me. Uh, I know that we put out some stuff on Ike Brewers, how... The Brewers should have just ponied up the money, and the numbers would support that, whereas the Reds last year took a huge leap in their pitching staff. The Brewers took a pretty big step step back, and we did end up getting to the playoffs just fine. Uh, but there's no doubt that Derek Johnson is a pitching whisperer, and we should have just paid him his money. You know, he we should have paid him his money. I know there was some talk that he wanted to be close to his family, but, you know, money talks as well. We should have paid him his money. The Reds, they, they love former Brewers as well. Uh, you know, Mike Moustakas, he signed there. They also signed Castellanos from Chicago. So they're trying to beef up their offense. Their pitching was much better last year. Sonny Gray had kind of a renaissance under, uh, you know, Derek Johnson. The Reds are going to surprise some people. I think I was actually expecting them to surprise some people last year because of the pitching coach thing, but they just couldn't put together their uh, clutch, clutch factor. If you look at, like, the Brewers' run differential, we had a pretty – bad run differential for being a playoff team and uh, the, the Reds had a decent run differential for not being a playoff team so last but not least the Pittsburgh Pirates <sighs> rebuild mode a lot of they bad got, moves they got a, like Josh Bell Chris Archer and not much else going on Polanco didn't they really lost Thurman Marte too Marte yeah I mean they traded away McCutcheon a few years back just just some moves that you know they traded away Austin Meadows Tyler Glass now in the in the Chris Archer deal that was brutal deal for a Pirates fan. Uh, brutal deal. Brutal deal. I think they're in the cellar. I think they're in the cellar. So so real quick, how would you rank your division? It's early, but just give us some quick rankings. Well, first off, I I like to think that the Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, and Cubs are all kind of in a basket together. Absolutely. In terms of talent, anyone could win. The Cards got a little bit of everything. They got Jack Flaherty pitching. Adam Wainwright still got Yaddy back there. Matt Carpenter. Paul Goldschmidt, they got talent. pitching and hitting and talent. So they're always going to be in the discussion, like we were saying. They have fans, too. They pack Bush Stadium. They do. I've points. been to Bush Stadium. It's beautiful, and the fans, they they're def- there. They definitely know how to support. And you got the Reds, who, like you said, had a Mike Moustakis. They got Derek Johnson, Joey Votto. I know Trevor Bauer and Luis Castillo are going to really benefit from his presence. So that's a team 
that, like you said, people are sleeping on. I, I don't like the sound. I forgot about Trevor Bauer. I don't like the sound of pairing him with Derek Johnson. I really just don't like the I sound. Know. I think he's going to be good. Because Bauer is a realist. He's already I've ever been heard good. Of. Yeah. Just in terms of a character profile, he is a realist. So I like He's going to fit well for that. And then you got Nicholas Castellanos, like you said, and more, probably one of the more underrated power hitters in the league, and Eugenio Suarez. Guy hit 49 home runs last year. And... He's a beast. People don't know who he is. I think Castellanos is actually going to fall off. I could be wrong, but I, you know, Suarez, like you said, he's a problem. And people don't know who he is. Exactly. And they're just trending up at this point. A lot to be seen with them. Still could go the negative side of uh, negative side of things, but looks like it would be a promising start for them too. Cubs, obviously. The Cubs are kind of just one of those teams where you look at them on paper, you go, why is this team not contending perennially for championships? Seriously. Because you got Chris Bryant. Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Hugh Darvish, Kyle Schwarber, Wilson Contreras. Do I need to keep going? Because those are all guys that can get all-star nods every season. And I don't even think I'm exaggerating. Those guys can all get all-star nods any given season. So with them, it's going to be finding chemistry again. Hopefully not for Brewers fans. Mm -hmm. But I think for them it's going to be a real gut check in terms of their foundation, their core, what got them there in the first place. If they're able to handle all the outside noise and overcome it to get back to a successful team. Because they're almost at the point where they got to take the puzzle apart, Blow start it up. finding new pieces. Because you're getting to the warnings, the signs, when you got to walk Joe Madden out your door because... You can't blame Madden anymore. You can't blame Madden anymore. Plus, he got you over the cusp of the yeah. most difficult thing you guys have had to do the curse for a hundred years and he did it and so what the next following season season and a half didn't turn out to your liking you got to be able to stick with him well, a little bit longer in my opinion for they, that. he got screwed and and you know the brewers uh 2018 season when we had that miraculous run to win the play-in game you know the cubs should have been in the playoffs if their players didn't suck so bad during that stretch when the brewers just were they lost it mentally well that's not Madden's fault. It's you know, not. Like one game, if they could have just pulled out one extra game, we couldn't even, like, the Brewers never would have been in that play, you know. And that ain't Madden's fault. Like, he was a scapegoat. I really uh, think they're going to get rid of Bryant. I think they're going to trade him. I don't think he's long-term for Chicago. I think Baez is their guy. The owners, the Ricketts, they don't want to spend uh, astronomical money. Like, I think they know that they got a couple big extensions coming up, and I think they're going to choose Baez. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going with your... Uh, Division standings real quick. No, but finally, we're just going to get to the Pirates that are going to about 95% chance be at the bottom of the Central by the end of the year because Josh Bell is a promising player, good power He's hitter. He's good. But he even faded a little bit like Bellinger after the All-Star break last year. Got all that hype up, got to beat by all the stars, and then you saw the stats dwindle once he came out of the break. And then they got Chris Archer, who they got rid of, uh, got rid of I mean, who they got for Meadows. Which was and last now and just the Meadows part of it is catastrophic because he's turning into a better player than Archer is. So Same. there's a whole lot of things you can go on in terms of tangents about the Pittsburgh Pirates, but I think it's going to be Cards, Brewers, Reds, Cubs, Pirates as of right now, and I think Cards and Brewers both get into the playoffs. Yeah, I was just going to say maybe like a wild card berth for the crew. I, I I can see that too. Like you absolutely can't discount the Cards. I'm going to say just because. What did I say? Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, then Pirates. And like you said, the, the top four, any of them could win it. Let's hope the Brewers get out to a hot start this year. So this this might be fun. Rank your top five Brewers. You start. So for me, 
I'm not going to throw any curveballs. I'm going to throw Christian Yelich out there for number one. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to put him there. That's probably the biggest given in terms of anything top fives for any teams. But um, for me, my number two, this is not going to just be about present time. This is going to be about the future contributions that this guy can bring to our squad. Mm-hmm. And that's Keston Hyora. Okay. I think his value on this organization right now is tenfold right behind Yelich about securing him up long term. I know it's early, but sometimes you get that. It's feeling. early, man. We got five more years of control of this guy. I know you just get that. <laughs> Maybe feeling. one more year, and then we then we look at the extension. Yes, but I'm loving Kesson Hayora, and I want all of him and some more because I think he's going to be nothing but a catalyst for this team's success. Third is going to be Josh Hader, kind of just based off of his statistical output, but just having that mentality as a dog, as an alpha. Every time he steps out on the mound, he portrays that, and it's contagious over the team. I mean, when he's out there on the top of the mound, I guarantee you everyone's confident in the Absolutely. whole ballpark, and that's Absolutely. even the feeling I get when he steps out there. I do get a little nervous sometimes, but yeah, it's better to have him out there than not have him out there. I think there's always going to be nerves in terms of a closing situation. That's so true. But with Hater, it's most we, of the time you're feeling good. We have some good chances with him. Exactly. Fourth, I'm going to say uh, B. Woodruff because he's our ace. He throws good gas. He's the epitome of a Milwaukee Brewer. Um, and I also think he's one of those guys that slept on a little bit in yeah. terms of the major league yeah. analysts and fans who are not fans of the Brewers don't really know much about Woodruff, but this could be a good coming out party for him if he can get to the 15-win um, cusp and maybe go over that. And then number five, I'm going to have to say, um, kind of just the epitome of a Brewer, Gold Glover, tough hard-nosed, battles through injuries, just does everything you want in a clubhouse leader. It's going to have to be Lorenzo Cain to okay. r- wrap up the top five because, for me, Kane is just the ideal version of a Milwaukee Brewer. I mean, there's a reason that he left originally and now he's back, right? Well, he got traded. Like, I he, know, but he, think about that. It's just like destiny fulfills amazing. itself. Amazing. I, I was really happy when we brought him in. and Actually, it's pretty crazy because him and Yelich were like the same day, yeah. uh, bringing in our outfield what like a that. Day. That was a Hell of a day. And sometimes you can't measure a good fit. But you can. Lorenzo Kane is the epitome of a great fit here. Well, and we have several good fits. Like, Kane is a good fit. Baron is a tremendous fit. Yelich is a tremendous fit. Hater fits here. You know, we, like you said, fit, culture, you can't overlook it. So, I'm going to give you my top five. Number one, I'm going Christian Yelich, MVP, undisputed, no curveballs, like you're saying. Number two, Brandon Woodruff, you know, ace material. We'll see what he does with his ERA. We asked a poll on uh, Ike Brewer's. Can he take his ERA below three? If he does, he's a surefire ace. Uh, number three, I'm actually going to go a little bold here. I think Lorenzo's going to have a bounce back here. I know Lorenzo was frustrated with his performance last year, and I know he was battling nagging injuries, which in baseball, it's kind of like you know, like a turf toe for football. You just can't really shake it, and you get these wood bats. If you got like a thumb injury, it just smacks you know, the shock on your, on your hand, on your bone, on your muscles. It hurts like a mofo. Uh, but I think Lorenzo in offseason to get himself right, like you look at his career trajectory, like his career performance, last year was a down year for him. I think he brings it back up this year. And if not, he brings it in so many other ways. So I like him as a player regardless. Number four, I'm going to go Keston here just because, uh, you know, he doesn't really give you the two-way player that, you know, maybe Yelly or uh, Lorenzo might. But look, elite bat, super young get you a big hit he can get you a bomb uh he's a tough out he's an advanced hitter and if you listen to the man speak he just knows hitting on a high level number five i'm gonna say josh Hader. you might even uh 
you can maybe even slot Corey Knable in there depending on how Tommy John comes back. But I'm going to put like the reliever closer uh, spot number five. I think we, we do have uh, one of the best, if not the best relievers in the game. And Josh Hader, strikeout machine. I'm going to give him the respect to put him at number five. He's earned that. He's earned that top five spot. Uh, yeah. Best closer in the game, you should probably earn a top five roster spot on your team when you think. <laughs> Absolutely. You no, know, it kind of all depends on what you think about the closing closing position and it's funny you say that because a lot of the statistical uh, analysis will say these guys look at the advanced stats they'll say well the closing position theoretically is nothing you know it's only one inning why are these closers paid so much money well they completely take out one of the most important things in life and in sports and that's context if you think the number nine inning is weighted the same as the number one inning you don't know baseball. You just don't know baseball. And, and that's one thing where I think, like you were saying, the closer is very undervalued despite the inning limit being you know, smaller than a starter. So, so yeah, Hater absolutely number five. Uh, before we wrap up, Brian, give me your breakout brewer to watch. For me, it's going to be a part of our starting uh, rotation. And I'm a big Adrian Hauser guy. Um, coming off essentially his rookie season last year where he got to have a full season in the big leagues as a pitcher wasn't even originally slotted to be a starter for us came in in the second half of the year and he dominated for us he was a massive part of that 19 and 4 September and he actually owned a 372 ERA with 117 Ks and 111 innings that's impressive that's per 9 10 Ks per outing so that's phenomenal. More than a strikeout per inning. High strikeout rate, good control, 6'4", 235-pound frame, nice chucks 95-plus. One thing I did notice about him that's kind of funny is he sometimes gets stomach issues and he's puked a couple times in major league games, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, I actually I forgot about that. And it's kind of like its own little trademark for him in a way where he gets nervous, but after he gets it out, he performs. He's been very good for the Brewers, especially last year down the stretch in crucial games without Yelich. So that was kind of a telling tale to me about his future prospects, being able to handle that and not crumbling under the pressure saying, oh, I have nothing around me to be successful. He said, nope, this one's all on me. Let me show you guys what I'm made of. And he only did go six and seven, but by his ERA, his whip, and... His strikeouts per nine, there is a lot to like with Adrian Hauser going into his second season as a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay, so I also have a pitcher for my breakout brewer, and it is Freddie, newly extended Peralta. So Freddie, uh, the Brewers fans got some great news. We signed Freddie for a nice contract extension, a very, very, very team-friendly deal that also offers here some security. Um, you know, just a tremendous deal that Brewers fans, management, uh, Freddie P., Every party involved was, you know, just just happy about. And I think he's going to break out. Now, his ERA last year was rough. He had a very, very, very promising rookie year. But if you look at the stat, 115 strikeouts in 85 innings last year and his entire career with the Brewers, 211 strikeouts in 116 innings. Brian, that is 11.6 strikeouts per nine innings. The thing that especially jumps out to me about Freddie P is that the movement he has on his fastball. A lot of guys can throw secondary pitches, these top prospects, but their fastballs are straighter than a string, and they get hit because major league hitters know how to time anything. But Freddie P, he has that velocity, and he's also got that 
just that movement. Like, I'm not even going to try and compare him to Mariano Rivera, but the way he's able to manipulate his fastball, uh, you know, put some tail on it, put some cut on it. He's got movement, and that really messes up a hitter because a fastball is the most dominant pitch he'll throw out there. Um, I think he's feisty. We remember his Major League debut in Coors Field. Just a tremendous outing. He can get the Ks. That'll give a pitcher confidence. He's got his long-term financial security. All he has to do is go to the ballpark and give it his best shot. Freddie Peralta is my breakout player. And he's 13-7 and seven in two seasons. So that's a good outlook just in terms of his record. That even in games where it hasn't been necessarily going his way. He's kept us in it. He's kept us in it. And he's <clears> kept <throat> his head. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of positives to take from Freddie. And I think he can really be a huge factor for this team. Obviously, by the deal that he got to be extended with us. So I think Stearns is thinking the same thing as well. Very happy to have Freddie with the organization for a long time. In Stearns, we trust. In Stearns, we trust. So, hey, that's a great place to wrap it up. And I just want to thank everybody for listening to the first ever Ike Brewers podcast. Uh, we're going to try and do these once a week for you guys or, you know, just very often throughout the course of the season because... There's not as much attention on the Brewers out there. There's not as much media about the Brewers. And it's our goal to give you pure sports without the politics, really shine the spotlight on Wisconsin sports, and really just let uh, you know everyone know that there's a lot to be excited about with this Brewers team. So once again, if you don't already, give us a follow on Twitter. Um, you know, Go check this out. Share it with your friends. It helps us grow for listening. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you, Brewers fans. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk Wisconsin sports with you. And let's go out there and get back to the playoffs in 2020. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everybody. We out.